private businesses have a massive responsibility in terms of basically making their supply chains cleaner, greener, making them more efficient, all of these things that can help cut wastage in the economy. They have a huge role to play in terms of helping us to meet sustainability and to meet governance agendas. Welcome from PwC. This is Up Next for your private business. The video podcast series that brings together professionals from around Europe, Middle East and Africa to uncover how private business leaders, government and policymakers can work together to build an enabling environment for private businesses to flourish and grow. I'm Peter English, Global Family Businesses and EMEA Entrepreneurial Private Business Leader, PwC Germany. PwC recently published Private Business Attractiveness Index shows that creating an enabling environment for private businesses is dependent on more than just low tax rate. One of the most important factors is a conducive macroeconomic environment. But how do major economic trends affect the ability for private businesses to operate in their home countries and abroad? And what are the key trends to look out for? To answer those questions and more, I have the pleasure to talk with James Pomeroy, Global Economist at HSBC. He's a specialist when it comes to current economic, climate, and policy decisions, as well as many of the longer-term themes that drive the development of the global economy. Dear James, a warm welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Excellent. So let's start with the question, what are the major economic trends that you're currently observing and how will they impact the private businesses? What do you think? So there's a few things going on at the moment. The global economic outlook is highly, highly uncertain. And that's clearly that uncertainty does play a role in private businesses in terms of how many people are likely to start businesses or how quickly businesses feel like they can grow. But at the same time, we do have a pretty strong situation in terms of global demand at the moment. The rebound out of the pandemic has been much stronger than I think a lot of people would have expected, particularly in terms of the service part of the economy. You know, we had this strong rebound through 2021, 2022 that was heavily led by goods consumption. We we're all going out and buying loads of stuff. We kept buying stuff throughout the pandemic and we've continued to buy stuff over the last couple of years as well. But now what's been happening is we've got a big upturn in the service sector of the global economy. So lots more people going out and about, going to shows, going to the football, going on a holiday, all of these things. These parts of the economy continue to do really, really well. So we do have a little bit of growth momentum. The other part of the story, though, is inflation. Uh, and I think a lot of businesses will be very concerned about their cost pressures. And we are seeing quite a lot of good news on that front. And it may not feel like that to everyone right now. But in the pipeline, there's a lot of disinflationary pressures coming through the economy. Lower energy prices, particularly in Europe, food prices on the wholesale markets that are starting to come down, shipping rates that have completely collapsed over the course of the last nine months. All of these things are really good news and they should start to feed through into input cost pressures for more and more businesses, making many businesses either more viable or more profitable or hopefully both. And all of that together bodes relatively well. But there's still some upward pressure to inflation in some parts of the economy. Central banks are keeping rates pretty high and those challenges aren't necessarily going away. But things maybe look a little bit better than you might think just by browsing the news. So it's very interesting to see that obviously there are despite the global economic situation, which is quite challenging, that there is hope and that there is some positive news. So in this context, and we know that private businesses are the backbone of many economies, do you see a changing role for private businesses in particular and the responsibility over the next decade? 
I think so. If you look at the dynamic parts of the economy at the moment, not just right now, but over the longer term, we're very much of the view that there's going to be continued growth in the service sector of the global economy. And you're going to see more and more people choosing to spend a greater share of their income on basically having fun, leisure, hospitality, travel. These parts of the economy are where people are choosing to spend more and more of their income. And therefore, we're likely to see these parts of the economy continue to grow. But private businesses also have a massive role to play in terms of employment. We've got a situation where many governments are trying to work out how they can run their side of the economy in a much more lean and efficient way, keeping on top of their public deficits and levels of debt that they've got. So private businesses will have to pick up even more of the slack when it comes to employment. So there's a massive role to play for private businesses in this economic rebound, both in terms of driving them to supplying the availability of stuff and things we can do in terms of the consumer side of the economy, but also creating jobs and meaning that as and when people leave education or want to find work, there's plentiful jobs out there and the economy can continue to grow. So this means that there might be also a special responsibility of private business that they have to live up to. So you mentioned creating jobs as one thing for sure. Another big yeah. trend is how to respond to other macroeconomic trends like sustainability, ESG, net carbon emission reduction, and so on. In this context, so for many years, private businesses has enjoyed the trust bonus. Do you think there is still the case? And what do you think is... Is there a special responsibility, especially for private businesses in this situation to drive or to respond to one of these trends that the general public and others do really expect from private businesses to react on? I think so. And I think what you're seeing already is a lot of businesses reacting to changing consumer tastes as well. So we live in a world today where more and more people, as they shop and as they go about their day-to-day -day lives, are much more conscious of some of these sustainability trends, be it in terms of environmental damage, be it in terms of social responsibility. We're continuing to see these topics gain in importance into sort of consumer spending behavior. And that means what you're going to see is more and more businesses have to take what they're doing even more seriously. Private businesses have a massive responsibility in terms of basically making their supply chains cleaner, greener, making them more efficient, all of these things that can help cut wastage in the economy. They have a huge role to play in terms of helping us to meet sustainability and to meet governance agendas and all of these various important parts of the future of the global economy, not just thinking about growth and jobs, but thinking about doing this in a much more sustainable and ethical manner. And A lot of that, as I said, does get driven by consumer demand, but it's also going to be on a lot of businesses as well from a sort of almost making money perspective. It's not just about doing the right thing. It's also profitable because this is what consumers want to buy. It's also how investors are going to think as well. So you're going to see lots of pressures that are going to mean that businesses have to get a lot more environmentally friendly, have to become much more sustainable, have to become much more ethical. And so doing so is both important for the planet, but also potentially important for their own bottom lines. This is a very interesting perspective because in my conversation with many private business owners, I get the feedback that there's a lot of pressure coming from policymakers. The European Union put a lot of regulation into the market and especially private businesses has to deal with it. And with a limited number of resources, they have to comply with new regulations, with new reporting requirements. So it seems that ESG is not seen very often as a chance, as an opportunity, but more as an additional compliance burden. So you are saying, so there is more chances than risks attached to this. Is this correct? Yes, I think, of course, you're right to flag. There's a whole ton of additional reporting burdens that do come with some of these regulatory changes. But if you look at the world today and you look at 
cohorts of the global economy. You look at today's younger people, the people who have grown up in a world where they've entirely learned about sustainability challenges. They've learned so much more about climate change. They are much more passionate about these issues. Appealing to that consumer is going to be really, really important. And it's not just that consumer, it's going to be that investor further down the line as well. And so actually businesses who can appeal to that cohort of people who are getting larger in terms of their population size, they're getting wealthier, they're getting more disposable income, that's going to be really, really important. And we see a lot of evidence in consumer surveys of particularly younger generations putting a big premium on businesses that are doing things in, quote, the right way. And so I think, yes, there might be a continued amount of burden to a degree in terms of what businesses have to do in terms of paperwork, in terms of reporting and those sorts of things. But there's a big opportunity here because there's a massive market of consumers who are caring much, much more about these issues. So it falls into the category of business transformation that we observe for many industries right now, driven by consumer demand or priorities and regulatory environment. So in a private business environment, so the owners has much less access to the capital market. So they're used to finance their business with their own money. So it's always a question how to balance long-term investment needs, also to respond to the transformation that you describe in, but also not becoming dependent from your bank or from <laughs> others. So how to keep my profitability up, how to invest for the right thing, how to be part of the transformation, but how to finance all this. What do you see here? So is there a competitive advantage going forward for private businesses or how should they deal with this kind of limbo situation, what shall they do? <laughs> I think any business that's growing, that's, good, that's showing it's got some sort of opportunities, and there's at least aware of some of these long-term structural trends. And if you think about the parts of the global economy that we know are going to be growing in the course of the next decade and beyond, it's going to be much more sustainable sort of consumption. It's going to be a much more digitized economy. There's big changes happening because of some of the demographic profile changes in the global economy, a much older population, these sorts of things. There's tons and tons of businesses that can present, okay, this is exactly where we're going to see our growth. This is exactly the trends that we're leaning into. And financing is available. Now, if we were to see any sort of opportunities, banks are willing to lend to businesses that are growing. That's always been the case and continues to be the case today. And in particular, when it comes to the ESG agenda, you are seeing more and more capital being made available, both by banks in terms of in the private sector, in terms of thinking about some of that lending that's available for businesses who are making those steps. But it's also true in the public sphere as well. Now, we've got whole new vehicles that are coming through in green bonds and those sorts of areas. So it's definitely an area of financing that the financing is available if businesses are doing the right thing and they're looking like they can continue to grow. This is excellent answers, which leads me to another question, which is around technology. So we see also this technology disruption going on out there in the market. So we've seen that we are in a turning point. So when it comes to technologies like metaverse, artificial intelligence, so they are expected to change the world for the future. How do you foresee these technologies disrupting economies over the long term? And to what extent you believe private businesses can match the trend or become a leader in this space even, <laughs> which would be great, but maybe <laughs> unlikely to happen? I don't know. Who knows? And to be honest, it's a bit like I said with this cohort effect when it comes to 
ESG, there's a similar cohort effect when it comes to a digital economy and a much more digitized economy more broadly. If you think about today's young people who typically spend much, much more of their lives online connected to devices, much more digitally savvy than their parents or their grandparents, that natural demographic churn in the economy is going to mean that over the course of the next decade and beyond, we have an economy that's much more digitized. So these sorts of technological trends, metaverse, AI, you name it, all of these sorts of trends are going to become much, much more important. Now, what do they mean? What do they mean for the broader economy? A lot of this does come down to how we as society adapt to these platform technologies. So if you think about some of the technological changes we've seen over the course of our lifetimes, a great example is the smartphone. The smartphone itself didn't necessarily change the economy. It was the things that allowed us to build on top of it. It was the fact that we could use email on the go. We could check the football results on the go. It meant we could have access to other apps that are built on these things. That's where the growth comes from. So we see a lot of these technological breakthroughs, things like the metaverse and artificial intelligence, as general purpose technologies. They're platforms on which whole new ecosystems and industries get built. And any private business who's able to get on top of those trends and to see the opportunities within these spaces will be very, very well placed. Because as I said, the structural trend is there for a much more digitized economy globally in the coming years. Yeah, maybe like another example. So look at Google, Amazon and so on. So there has been very small at the beginning and the big sharks has taken them very seriously when they started their business model. Maybe it's really, as you said, maybe a question of pioneering something new. So it's more a question of being fast than being big by matching those trends and uh, take opportunities and advantages out of this technology and disruption. So we will see it. So I'm pretty optimistic that at least many private businesses see the opportunities, but also the risk if they don't understand the full magnitude of change, which will come definitely from this technology trends like metaverse, AI and others. But let's swap to another topic. And I have to ask this because there has been recent turmoils in the banking sector, which was going on in Switzerland and so on. So how can private businesses best navigate the uncertainties of a potentially getting more unstable banking system? Well, essentially what we've seen, not just in the course of the last few weeks, but over the course of the last year, Central banks across the world are raising interest rates. And why do central banks do that? Is they want to slow down the economy because inflation's too high. Now, what is the impact of that? Well, generally, if you raise interest rates, you're trying to encourage people to borrow less and save more. And that is true, essentially, across the financial system. This is literally the whole purpose of, of higher interest rates. And essentially, what we've seen in the course of the last couple of weeks is additional uncertainty in the banking system that many people worry will mean that banks become much more I guess, concerned about their portfolios. They will start to become more cautious about their lending. They'll become much more rigorous in terms of their lending standards. And this may mean a further slowdown in credit availability. And that may well be the case. But the whole idea here of higher interest rates is to mean that people don't want to borrow as much in the first place. So it's that interest rate story that's just as important here. And whilst interest rates are high, it becomes a situation where it's less, I guess, advantageous to borrow than it previously would. So you may well see in the near term and say this is exactly what central banks want to happen, that credit growth slows down and you do see less borrowing in the economy. But that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be that way forever. Interest rates at some point will come lower, borrowing costs will drop and that can turn around. It's all part of the natural cycle of credit growth in the economy. So at least for the near term, the whole idea of where policy is at the moment, on top of some of these potentially tighter lending standards, may well mean it's slightly harder or less sensible even to borrow money. But actually going forward, that could change quite considerably. 
Now, this is a great insight. And as private businesses generally uh, less financing their growth through bank loans, but through own cash flow and their own equity, I think they are currently less affected in general, the mm. term speaking, less affected by the increasing interest rate. But yeah. it has an impact on the ability to finance growth and investment in technology, ESG exactly. and so on. So we will see how this is going to work out. So in our survey, in our index, we're also comparing countries. And we saw that the general economic resilience in the Nordic, in the Scandinavian countries is pretty good. And this is also partly the reason because they reinvest gains from the natural resources by giving it back to the society in doing the right investments. So what can countries, government, policymakers really do in a particular country to create this how we call it, enabling environment to give yeah. good business conditions to entrepreneurs and private business leaders. Have you seen some good examples and what would be your advice to governments and policy makers? It's a very good example, actually, in Scandinavia. And there's almost a fantastic contrast between Norway and Sweden. And I think a lot of governments across the world would absolutely love to be gifted the natural resources that the Norwegians have and this enormous pile of wealth that they so subtly put on public display on a website where you can see exactly how much money they've got sat in the bank account at any given moment. That environment gives you opportunities because it allows you to create a social safety net that allows people to take risks. But what we've seen to a degree in Norway and other very, very wealthy economies across the world who have benefited from commodities is an element of what economists call the Dutch disease, which is where essentially that, that commodity wealth means that you don't grow other sectors because everyone becomes so obsessed with those commodities that you don't grow other parts of the economy. And that hasn't entirely happened in Norway, but for an economy that's so wealthy and so tech savvy and so highly developed, you don't necessarily have the same sort of entrepreneurial growth as you do over the border in Sweden. Now, Sweden's a very interesting case because their whole sort of economic model is very much based on give everyone the basics and let them flourish on top of it. Essentially, the capitalist-socialism hybrid that Scandinavian economics ends, ends up sort of using. And in Sweden, you have an unbelievably entrepreneurial economy. And essentially, a lot of economists would argue that this is because what Sweden does well is they give everyone a basic standard of living and they basically provide you with a net. So if you want to take a risk, if it goes wrong, we'll catch you. And so you essentially say to people, well, why not have a risk? Why not try and start your own business? Why not have a punt on things? And what that does is it creates a culture where people feel like they can gamble because the repercussions aren't that you wouldn't be able to feed your family or you wouldn't have somewhere to live because the government's got your back if it goes wrong. And I think that has proven to be a really, really successful culture. And what's ended up happening in Sweden alongside this is the government has lent in heavily alongside academic institutions to look at, you know, building hotspots of the economy where you can build certain sectors very quickly, particularly technology in Sweden. And the other benefit they've had is a very early rollout of internet across the economy. So you have a very digitally literate economy compared to other parts of the world. So it's, again, picking specialisms, leaning into it. But I think it's that culture of people feeling like they can take risks without any serious repercussions if it goes wrong that's created a very, very entrepreneurial situation. Essentially, people take risks in two situations, when you're backed into a wall and when you think you can get away with it. And essentially backing your population into a wall so they take risks probably isn't the best way of running an economy. So the alternative 
of essentially saying to people, well, here, if it goes wrong, we've got you, seems to work very well in Sweden. What a wonderful closing remark here. Thank you so much, James, for joining the podcast today. I'm sure our audience found the discussion as insightful as I did. To everyone watching or listening, thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our podcast. We will release an episode each month. Hope to see you then. Goodbye. Copyright 2023, PwC. All rights reserved. PwC refers to the PwC network and or one or more of its member firms, each of which is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com forward slash structure for further details. This content is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.